the History Channel original podcast. Tomorrow's opening day, and Major League Baseball is about to change things up. Banning defensive shifts, making the bases bigger, and adding a pitch clock. It's going to make some fans angry. But that's nothing new. To start, we're going to jump back almost 40 years. Sports history this week, March 27th, 1986. I'm Kalen Jones. Peter Uberoff knows he can't please everyone. But that's life when you're the commissioner of Major League Baseball. As commissioner, Uberoff oversees a baseball league that's really two different leagues, the American League and the National League. Other sports also split their teams in the conferences or divisions, but baseball's unique because the American League and National League play by different rules. In the National League, everyone has to step up to the plate and hit, including the pitcher, even if he's terrible, which he usually is. But over in the American League, the pitcher gets to relax on the bench while a better hitter goes up to bat for him. That guy is the DH, or the designated hitter. But what do you do when a team from the American League goes up against a team from the National League? One with a DH, one without. And this happens every year in the World Series. Do you make the pitchers hit? Because that's not fair to the American League pitchers, who might have not swung a bat all year. Or do you make both teams use a designated hitter? Well, that's not fair to the National League teams who built their teams and practiced certain game strategies without the DH in mind. For Peter Uberov, there's no easy answer. But hey, that's life when you're the commissioner of Major League Baseball. In 1986, Uberoth meets with the MLB Rules Committee, and together they come up with a new solution announced on March 27th. Moving forward, all World Series games played in American League ballparks will use the DH. Games in National League parks will have no DH. It's a decent compromise that respects the histories and the differences between the two leagues. Will it bother some people still? Of course. But once again, that's life when you're the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Today, a look back at how baseball has constantly evolved and has constantly divided its fans. How do certain rules cause some unintended consequences? And how did over a century of adjustments lead to the new changes we're all about to see for baseball in 2023? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Opening day is one of my absolute favorite days of the year, and I'm not alone. It's the new beginning. It hasn't changed, I don't think, over the history of baseball, which is pretty amazing. That's Gary Thorne. He's a legendary baseball broadcaster. He actually called the famous Red Sox-Mets World Series in 1986 when the league put in those new DH rules. 
opening day from day one, everybody's in first place. The slate is clean. You know, all the festivities that only occur on opening day, all the introductions of players, the flyovers, the guys running out from center field, the parades that take place. It's got a heart tug. It excites people as fans to think about this whole new year and the chance for their team. Although your team, the Angels, I'm not sure you think that same way. Uh, with an opportunity, an opportunity to, to go out there and do something successfully on the season. And I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I have to let you finish your answer, but. <laughs> There's it's always hope. You never know. I'm not going to lie. Getting roasted by Gary Thorne for loving the Angels is definitely a career highlight for me. But he's right. Not about the Angels. People love opening day. But some fans have another tradition they love even more. Saying, baseball just isn't as good as it used to be. What makes baseball distinct from all other sports in this and in many other areas is the uproar that comes whenever you try to change it. Anthony Kashravince is a reporter and columnist for MLB.com. When I spoke to him, he had just gotten back from spring training in Arizona, where reporters got a first-hand look at the new rules the league is putting into place. When basketball added the shot clock, yes, there was there was concern about it, but not even not even close to the level of when things are, are altered in baseball. We romanticize baseball more than we do any other sport. We romanticize its history more than we do with any other sport. And so any effort that is made to push the game forward is faced with a lot of pushback from a lot of people. But what's hilarious about that is the game has always changed regardless. We don't get the first written rules till about 1845, or at least ones that people share. Stephen Goldman is the consulting editor of Baseball Prospectus and host of the Infinite Inning podcast on baseball history. The very first set of rules was set up by the New York Knickerbocker Club. It was a bunch of guys 180 years ago now who said, let's get together and hang out and, and probably drink some beer and hit the ball around. But even with baseball's sort of improvisational beginnings. You're always going to have traditionalists arguing against any rule changes, including those that are going into effect this year. That sort of pushback seems to be at an all-time high this year. Really, if you look at it historically, you could argue probably successfully that these are the most widespread, you know, wholesale changes all at once to the rule book in modern history. So let's break down three of baseball's brand new rules one by one and see how they relate to similar changes throughout baseball history. Rule change number one, banning defensive shifts. If you close your eyes and imagine a baseball game, you're probably thinking about an infield that has two players on the left side, the third baseman and the shortstop, and two players on the right side, the first and second baseman. But now imagine you're the manager of that team, and Ted Williams is coming to the plate. He's a Hall of Fame lefty who's known as a dead pull hitter, which means he almost always hits the ball toward the right side of the field. So wouldn't you just put an extra guy over on the right side? Of course you would. And that's called a defensive shift. Shifts have been around as long, almost as long as there has been baseball. It's not brain surgery, this part of the game. You, you scout somebody and you say, he always hits the ball there, so stand there. One of the first big victims of the defensive shift is Cy Williams, who played in the majors from 1912 to 1930. 
Cy Williams, went to the Baker Bowl in Philadelphia, which was a ballpark about the size of a telephone booth. And suddenly he's hitting 30 home runs a year. And he was a dead pole hitter. And so National League managers started to shift on him back in the 1920s. A few years later, there's another Williams, Ted Williams, the Boston Red Sox legend. You'll find that managers at that time, the Joe McCarthy's of their era, managed uh, against Ted Williams, who had one of the earliest shifts against him in the late 30s, early 40s, where they where they shifted and played him on the second base side to pull the ball all the time. And Williams' response was, well, it just hit it over their heads out of the ballpark, which he, which he did pretty successfully. But things have come a long way since World War II-era baseball. And as advanced stats and computer modeling have made their way into the game, teams have gotten much, much better at predicting where a player is going to hit the ball. Shifts in baseball aren't new. What was new was the ability to categorize every single hitter by using computers and software so you knew where they hit the ball 80, 70, whatever percent of the time and were able to position your players there for every single hitter. That was different. And then it just kind of became normal. Like it became normal to see the shortstop on the right-hand side of second base. Defensive shifting is effective. In fact, it's worked a little too well. Hitters have had a harder and harder time getting on base since teams have begun using and then nearly perfecting the strategy. So starting this year, teams have to go back to a defensive alignment with two infielders on each side of the field. Has the game like ever had a point where they've told players you can't stand in a certain area on the field of play? Yeah, this one is unprecedented from the standpoint of telling teams what they cannot do, where they cannot, you know, you cannot position players in a certain way, which speaks to how extreme and invasive defensive shifting has become in the last 10 to 15 years. It's really overtaken the sport. But that that's what finally forced MLB to step in and say, well, wait a minute, this is not how this game was drawn up to be played. And the problem is it's totally logical. It makes complete sense, but it's less fun from a spectator point of view. There it is. This rule is trying to make baseball more fun to watch. Getting rid of defensive shifts means more hits, more base runners, and more scoring. And that is something baseball has tried to do forever. If you look at 1919 to 1920, say, and, you know, we always think of of the Black Sox in that period, but the other thing that came in was the lively ball. Before the live or lively ball era, a single baseball would be used the entire game. If a foul ball was hit, the ball would be thrown back to the players. Same thing if a player hit a home run. These baseballs would get beat to death, and by the ninth inning, they'd be soft and mushy. It'd also be covered in tobacco spit or scuffed up by emery boards and razor blades. But when teams started swapping out baseballs throughout the game, keeping them bouncy and fresh, and after the spitball was banned in 1920, it became much easier to hit home runs. And one player really, really capitalizes. This ex-pitcher in Boston making this transition to the outfield, Babe Ruth starts to do this. And they say, gee, people like that. They like, I mean, look, inside the park home runs are a lot of fun, right? But things quickly start getting out of hand. John McGraw, manager of the Giants, is one of the most powerful or or at least noisy people in baseball. And he says these offensive levels are getting nuts. I just had my first baseman hit 400. It's just too easy right now. Every single batter, the average batter in both leagues hit 300. Baseball goes from not enough offense to too much offense. 
and hitters get another boost in 1950 when the league makes the strike zone smaller. The strike zone is that imaginary rectangle that pitchers aim for in order to throw a strike, and the smaller strike zone means it's much harder for a pitcher to strike someone out. By the early 60s, home runs are way up. Roger Maris even breaks Babe Ruth's single-season home run record in 1961. So naturally, baseball has to adjust once again. This time, Major League Baseball votes to increase the size of the strike zone, from the batter's armpits all the way to the top of the batter's shoulders. And so when you make a change to the strike zone and how it is enforced by the umpires, that's a major sea change. The pitchers became so dominant. Bob Gibson, the great Bob Gibson, had a, a 1.12 ERA. And in the American League, only Carl Yastrzemski hit over 300, and he was at 301. And just they said, well, the pitchers have gotten too dominant. You had the year of the pitcher in 1968. And then in 1969, they lower the mound, they adjust the strike zone, and offense makes a major improvement overnight. You're probably sensing a pattern by now. Make the strike zone smaller, teams score way too many runs. Make the strike zone bigger, pitchers dominate and the game becomes boring. By 1970, there's a TV in every home. There has been for a while. And people aren't coming out. And how do you deal with that? Well, again, one way is to add action. So the MLB Rules Committee comes up with a revolutionary rule change to increase offense. Not by changing the strike zone, but by replacing the worst hitters in the lineup. And in 1973, the designated hitter rule is born. As the game matured, it just pitchers became more and more an automatic out. How are you going to learn to throw the slider and hit the slider? There's just not enough time in the day. And it, again, it, it's about your enter, in part about your entertainment value. And also, I mean, I think that there's a certain integrity to that, that we don't, we just don't need to see that. It's a bit like, you know, expecting your dentist to you know, operate on your spleen. You know, like they're both MDs, but you don't, you don't fault to say, well, it's not pure if the dentist doesn't do both. You just expect everybody to do what they can do. And so they finally bite the bullet and say, like, well, we'll put aside our, our ideas of purism and, and we'll have this as of 1973. And it's a nice thing in some way. Again, it promotes action. The designated hitter increases offense overnight. And everyone loves it. <laughs> Not really. The DH is an obvious example where there's people who still think the DH is an abomination. It's been around since 1973. It's been around longer than I've been alive. And why do people hate it so much? It was the, the same old argument you hear now about this is not real baseball. You know, this is this is not the way the game was meant to be played. And it's supposed to be you're a true athlete if you, you can do both. You know, all the things people continue to say who, who don't like the DH. Most of this DH hate comes from fans of the National League because the NL never adopted it as a rule. To them, making the pitchers hit is, quote unquote, real baseball. The National League, I think, missed adding it by one vote. And it was just a political thing, but then retroactively it became like, no, no, this is our religion. And so we're not gonna do it. The great DH divide between the two leagues forces MLB to continue messing with the DH rules, especially in the World Series, when the American League champion plays the winner of the National League. At the time in 86, when the league made that change, you know, were people upset about the fact that the DH was included? Did people find it unfair? Yes. And I think the valid argument in that was that it only applied to one league. That wasn't fair. Because then you went into the postseason and the World Series, 
and you had, you know, depending on where you were playing, the field with the American League got the DH. Then when you went to the National League ballpark, you didn't have it. You were changing the whole complexion of both teams when you did that. In 2022, the National League finally adopted the DH throughout the entire season, not just the World Series, making it one less problem that the MLB Rules Committee needs to deal with every October. But that's just one rule. And it's safe to say whether it's the DH or strike zones, baseball is always making adjustments to change the amount of runs scored. And there are two more rule changes coming in 2023 that are definitely going to ruin baseball forever. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Here's a question. How big is a baseball base? Honestly, I had no idea until we made this episode. The funny thing about the bigger bases, I don't know anybody who could have told you the size of a base prior to this <laughs> becoming a topic, right? I mean, nobody right. nobody could have told you it's 15 inches on each side. You could have talked to people who've been in the game for 50 years, and they could not have told you that. I could not have told you that. I know that for sure. That brings us to rule change number two. In 2023, the bases are going to be three inches bigger. So now, when players slide into a base, they have a bit more room to make contact with the bag instead of sliding directly into an infielder's ankle. MLB tried this rule last year in the minor leagues, and it led to a 13% reduction in injuries near the bases. And there have been plenty of rule changes in baseball designed to make the game safer. One big change had to be made over 100 years ago. So one of the things that they outlawed was soaking which was the idea that instead of tagging the runner, you know, you catch the ball and you tag the runner with your mitt with the ball in it, that you could just whip the ball at him, peg him with the ball and, you know, well, kill him, I guess. I mean, today we would have fatalities because some of those those infielders can get the ball out pretty, pretty fast and pretty hard. You could just whip the ball at someone and you'd think they would have just, you know, tag teams of, of stretcher bearers as, as the guys went down. Of course, arguably the biggest innovation in baseball safety came when the league started requiring players to wear batting helmets in the 1950s. But in 2023, in addition to safety, MLB hopes that the larger bases will also lead to more base runners and more stolen base attempts, one of the most exciting plays in the game. When it comes to stolen bases, there's a thing that's just antithetical to, to physics that happens, which is that a player slides into the base and the infielder has learned to hold the tag on him for a really long time for the review. And so this guy is, is running at top speed and his momentum carries him onto the bag and maybe he loses contact with it for a nanosecond. And then they look at it on the replay and they say he's out. 
And the thing is that they're expecting those base runners to stick to the bag like Spider-Man. And yet baseball traditionalists will still argue, you can't change the field of play. But once again, this is not unprecedented in baseball history. The minimum home run distance in the modern era was 250 feet. <laughs> that was in the mid-1920s. They set it at 250 feet. And that's funny to think about now when people can hit 500-foot home runs. Right. <laughs> Literally twice as far as the minimum distance then. They increased that again in the late 1950s to 320 feet down the lines, 400 feet to center field. In fact, sneaky team owners have gone to great lengths to change their fields in order to give their teams an edge. Bill Veck, who owned Cleveland and, and the Browns and so on, and, and the White Sox, had a thing that he did, and he tried this in Cleveland where he had a curtain that he would roll out when the other, the other side was coming. He did that in, in, in the minors in Milwaukee, but in Cleveland, he tried to say, like, oh, power hitting team is, is in town. We're going to roll the fences back temporarily. And baseball said, no, you can't do that. It's got to be the, the same for everybody. Still, in baseball, ingenuity wins out. This is a time-honored thing, too, that if a, a fast team comes to town, the groundskeeper comes out and soaks the base paths, you know, be, to make it to, to increase the resistance, make it muddy so that whether it's Maury Wills or, or later Ricky Henderson, you know, they can't get the same jump off that they get. So it's it's not just the rules. It's every little detail of this ridiculous game. It's the ball. It's the park. It's the strike zone. It's the construction of the bats. And it's it's everything you, you can name. Rule change number three. A pitch clock. And this is probably one of the biggest changes in the history of the game. So it's a new development, which is more cementing an older idea, which is got to pick up the pace of this sport. Most team sports have some sort of ticking clock. NBA teams have 24 seconds to take a shot. NFL teams have 40 seconds to start the next play. But in baseball? It used to be a matter of pride for baseball people to say, we don't have a clock. We go out and play the game. But the thing was, the games were done in two hours and 15 minutes or two hours and 30 minutes. They weren't going three and a half hours. To purists who don't want to see a, you know, a timer in baseball, they, they feel like that runs afoul of, of everything baseball stands for, of being the game with no clock. And now it does have a clock and it's ticking down for every at bat. Starting this year, Major League pitchers have 15 seconds to throw a pitch or 20 seconds if a runner is on base. And this change affects hitters too. Bernie Williams of the Yankees, between pitches, would walk the entire backstop, like the whole parabola of, of the ballpark. And you could get up, make a snack, go to the bathroom, whatever you needed to do, reply to emails between pitches. And it's just not good entertainment. What do pitchers or even hitters lose by not being able to take as much time as they want nowadays? Both sides are going to have to focus. And I heard uh, Scherzer say the other day, look, if you let pitchers pitch at their own pace, they would have a quick, speedy between-pitch delivery. He believes that if pitchers want to do that, and hitters, I think, are coming around the same way, and ultimately I think it's going to be in a very short period of time, within a month of the regular season, I don't think either is going to be hurt, and I think both are going to be helped. As always, People think the sky is falling when a big rule change is made. 
but even baseball lifers like Gary Thorne think it'll just eventually become a normal part of the game. So over the years, aside from the pitch clock, has there ever been any attempts to speed up the game? This is my absolute favorite because it, it really distorts the statistics when you look back is the foul strike rule. Because for a long time, you didn't get a, a strike on a foul ball. And there were certain hitters, they had such great back control that they could spoil pitches and there was no penalty for that. So you just literally wait the pitcher out. And this was considered to be in bad taste. You weren't supposed to be trying to walk. And there were fights about this. There were guys getting angry and threatening to hit other guys because they say, you fouled that ball on purpose. There are more examples of baseball trying to speed up the game, but this one's probably my favorite. In the early 1900s, they, they made the rule that pitchers must face a minimum of one batter. You know, now we have the three batter minimum in recent years, but they actually had to do a one minimum, a one batter minimum because managers figured out that you could call in a reliever, not have him throw an actual pitch while someone else is warming up that you really wanted in the game. And, and just this is farce, uh, you know, so it's just a, a, a time stalling measure. So they actually had to put in a rule that, no, no, you bring in somebody to pitch, they actually have to face a batter. It's just another example of how if you go far enough back in the baseball's history, you're going to find that some of the most basic elements of the game, the parts that we take totally for granted, were actually the result of a rule change. You go back to 1886 and a walk was five balls four strikes for a strikeout just for that season only with the four strikes. But like, it's so funny just like, because you think about the impact baseball has had on American culture, American society, you think about the three strikes and your out rule and how <laughs> this became, you know, a, a baseball precedent becomes a legal precedent in a way, in, in certain way. But for that one season, it's four strikes. <laughs> and uh, had that been the case, you know, are there people who are not in jail today had that, had, that been, uh, had that maintained itself somehow? But that's the whole point. The game is always evolving. An inning used to last for one out instead of three. Teams used to play with as many as 14 players in the field instead of nine. Umpires would be chosen right before the game by the teams themselves. Games used to only end when one team scored 100 runs. But the biggest difference between then and now? There was a time when the pitcher was considered not someone who was trying to get the batter out, but was more just facilitating play. He was a human pitching machine. So the batter right. could say, I'd like it up here, or I'd like it down there. <laughs> I mean, imagine how embarrassing it would be to strike out if you knew what was coming every time. It almost sounds like t-ball or beer league softball. I mean, there's all kinds of things in the 1800s, like making the runner touch every base. <laughs> it's like these things that we think like, of course, but like, it's kind of like when you're out and about and you see a sign telling you not to do something and it's funny, like it seems obvious to you. Like, well, of course I wouldn't do that, but they had to put the sign up for a reason. It's because somebody did that thing that seems so obvious. You know, that, that's how it is with, with the beautiful thing about baseball. Beginning, you watch it kind of find its way. And with these new rule changes, baseball is arguably still trying to find its way today. We've had baseball's dying stories going back to about 1920, probably, if not earlier. Like, it's always in and out of fashion. But you can't stop trying. I mean, on sort of a, to be philosophical, we all have to change or die, right? We all have to keep evolving through our lives. And we all have to stay relevant to our times. Maybe 50 years from now, 
the rules committee will vote to get rid of the pitch clock. And you just know that some cranky purist is going to write a 5,000 word column about how we can't get rid of the pitch clock. That's the way the game was always meant to be played. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Sports History this week. For moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. Other notable sports stories that happened this week? 1985. The World Wrestling Federation holds the first ever WrestleMania in Madison Square Garden. And 1893. A man by the name of Frederick Arthur, Lord Stanley of Preston, donates a silver bowl as an award to Canada's amateur hockey champions. That bowl? would later become known as the Stanley Cup. If you'd like to get in touch, please shoot us an email at sportspod at history.com or leave us a voicemail at 212-351-0410. We'd love to hear from you. Special thanks to our guest, Anthony Kastrovitz, reporter and columnist for MLB.com and a contributor to MLB Network. Steven Goldman, former editor-in-chief and current consulting editor for Baseball Perspectives, and host of the baseball history podcast, The Infinite Inning, Gary Thorne, longtime MLB broadcaster. An additional thanks to Leo Dem, a former pitcher in the Brooklyn Dodgers organization who contributed to our research and reporting for this story. This episode was produced by David Ingbert. It was story edited by me, Kalen Jones, and sound designed by the Podglomerate. Sports History This Week is also produced by Cooper McKim. Our senior producer is Ben Dickstein. Our associate producers are Emma Fredericks and Hazel May. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and our executive producer is Jesse Katz. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Sports History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week. Copyright 2022, A&E Television Networks, LLC. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.